It's John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. The text reads like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger's. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Amen. Come into the beginning of my adult years in life. I'm beginning to realize the amount of things that I took for granted as a child. There were so many responsibilities and worries that I never even had to think about as a child because I had parents worrying about them for me. Like, for instance, when my mother lost her job in the 2008 economic recession, I never had to worry about paying for the mortgage or how much groceries were going to cost. I never had to worry about where we were getting our insurance from or how much school supplies were going to be for the next season. My parents, in their love for the family, sacrificed themselves by being the ones to worry about all of these problems and find solutions for them, all so they could take care of me and my siblings. Now that I am an adult and I'm living alone, 
I do not have this immediate protection from my parents any longer. And I'm realizing just how much I took it for granted. I no longer have someone who will immediately offer me direction and help, leaving me to figure out most of these things on my own. Like when I moved here to the UK, I had never paid for rent before. So I had to figure that out all by myself. I couldn't walk into the living room and ask my father what I was supposed to do. But I had to figure it out. As I figure out how to do these adult things, I really do miss this protection that my parents gave me. Even if this experience has made me more competent than I was before. When it comes to earthly matters... Experience really does help help us to grow in competency and self-sufficiency. But when it comes to spiritual matters, experience does not always change our competency when we believe that we are self-sufficient. When it comes to spiritual matters, our sin has blinded us and made us to believe that we are self-sufficient and do not need any help. Our sin blinding us has led us to believe that we don't need any protection, but we can make up our own direction in life and turn out just fine. But Jesus, being the light of the world, as we discussed a couple of weeks back, reveals to us our very blindness that sin has caused and shows us the true state of this world. And more importantly, he showed us that we are in desperate need of him. He shows us that we do, he not only shows us that we have our own shortcomings, but that we also are in desperate need of his protection and guidance in this world so that we may grow closer to him and avoid the dangerous things that this world throws at us. This means that unlike earthly matters, experience in spiritual matters should destroy self-sufficiency and instead promote reliance on Christ because of our need for his revelation and his guidance. This idea that Jesus protects and guides us is exactly the essence of what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. So tonight, as we continue in our series in the I Am Statements in John's Gospel, we will look at two of these statements. I am the door and I am the good shepherd, because they are so closely linked together in John chapter 10. So as we study both of these I am statements tonight, we will spend a majority of the time looking at this good shepherd metaphor because of its dominance within the chapter. But, we, but before we really dive into this chapter of scripture, I want to take a minute and just explain to you a little bit of the structure of this passage so that we can clearly understand what Jesus is saying here. If we were to read John chapter 10 verses 1 through 21, expecting a narrative parable normally found throughout the Gospels, we will be confused pretty quickly. This is because our passage begins with a metaphor that immediately nobody understands, followed by two I am statements based on two different metaphors. Our passage tonight then is not a narrative parable but instead a series of shepherding metaphors that Jesus will use to explain to us more about himself and his ministry. So tonight, as we look at the passage, we will break down each metaphor that Jesus says here, focusing on how Jesus, as the good shepherd, is calling sinners to himself to save them, guide them, and protect them. 
we will first look at number one, the works of the good shepherd. Then number two, the goal of the good shepherd. And finally, number three, the means of the good shepherd. Please read with me again verses one through five of John 10. Jesus is saying this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold but by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. If you you will recall with me a few weeks back, before we started our series here in the I Am Statements of John, I preached to you a one-off sermon in John chapter 9, talking about how Jesus healed the man born blind in the pool of Siloam. Our passage tonight for John chapter 10 is immediately following that story. So Jesus is likely addressing the Jewish audience who was in Jerusalem during the Feast of Booths. His audience seemed to be confused about who Jesus is and what works he is doing. So Jesus decides to teach them through metaphor exactly what he is doing. In this opening metaphor, we see number one, the works of the good shepherd. Jesus begins by painting a mental picture of a sheep pen, which the original audience of John's gospel would be pretty familiar with. This enclosure of sheep would normally hold a couple of family sheep altogether, to which a hired hand would look after these sheep. If any of the shepherds were to approach the sheep pen, both the sheep and the watchman would know the shepherd and the gate would be opened for him. If anyone who is not a shepherd were to approach, they would not be let in by this watchman, meaning that their only access to the pen would be sneaking in over the fence. These people are the thieves and the robbers that are talked about here in this passage. They would enter into the sheep pen only for their greedy gain, distracting and luring the sheep away so that they could steal them away for their own benefit. In contrast, then, to the thief and the robber, the shepherd who approaches the door enters in and is welcomed. He calls all of his sheep by name from the larger group and leads them out of the pen, with every one of the sheep following the shepherd because they know him. You see, back in, or throughout all of shepherding, shepherds each have their own unique calls that they will cry out, causing all of their own sheep to follow, even when they are mixed in with other groups of sheep. This is because the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. So if anyone who isn't the shepherd tries to call out to them, then they refuse to listen because that person is a stranger. Jesus, in telling this parable, is trying to demonstrate the relationship that he has as the good shepherd with his people. When we first come to Christ, we are responding in faith by listening to his call and following his voice. While in this world, we as the people are inside of this fold with other sheep who are not Christ's because they are serving other masters. But when Christ, our Savior, calls to his sheep, 
They listen to Jesus' call and follow him. This is the very essence of Christ's work in this world, calling his people by name and having them follow him. All of mankind, then, is one of these two types of sheep, depending on how they answer the call of Jesus. When Jesus approaches the pen, Christians listen and respond in faith, knowing that Jesus is their shepherd. For those, of the, for those sheep who do not know Christ, they will ignore Jesus' call and stick to whatever patch of mediocre grass that they are standing on. The Christian goal in life, then, should be to focus on Jesus' voice and follow it when he calls for us. When thieves and robbers enter into this pen and try to distract us, the Christian should tune them out and ignore them as the stranger that they are because they know that the thief is not their master. Let me try illustrating it like this. Remember when radios used to be analog and you would have to turn the dial on the radio to get to the correct station that you would want? When you turn that dial looking for your specific radio station, you came across so many other stations that were playing, trying to grab your attention and distract you from going to that exact radio station that you were looking for. There are many thieves and robbers who are just like that, trying to steal your attention away from Jesus, who you are trying to focus on and dial into. But the thing is, probably not all of us are familiar with analog radios anymore. Have you ever pulled out your smartphone for a specific reason, only to get distracted by somebody sending you a post on Instagram or a message on WhatsApp? And you start messing around on your phone only to forget why you pulled it out of your pocket in the first place. I know I've done that way too many times to count. It's because there are so many things on our phone that are designed to steal our attention when we really have something that we should be focusing on. This is just the same in our world. Our world is trying to steal your attention away from Christ and distract you from his call to follow him. This has been happening in every generation since the fall of man. Thieves and robbers will do anything that they can to steal your attention from God. So then how do we follow the good shepherd and avoid, and avoid thinking of the distractions of this world? One of the most practical ways that I can think of doing this is by encouraging one another to focus on the call of Christ and especially encouraging one another cross-generationally. The reason I illustrated avoiding the distractions of this world and focusing on Christ in two different ways is because I want us all to realize that our spiritual problems that we are facing, although they may look different on the surface, are essentially the same thing. Every person here tonight is a sinner and in need of grace. Jesus provides us that grace and calls us out of our sin but our sinful spirits try to drag us back to the pits of our sin. All of us then, regardless of age or generation, need to focus on the call of Christ and walk confidently toward our Savior. So church, we must try and foster these cross-generational relationships here in this church family. 
Let's talk to people outside of our generation and create deep and meaningful relationships centered on our common salvation. This means that when church events are happening, we should seek to attend and engage with whoever is there, even if that event does not necessarily interest us. This means that we will have to go out of our comfort zones a little bit for these relationships. So adults, when we get together to watch Spider-Man, please come and join us. Have a relationship with the younger ones here in this church. Teens, I'm specifically calling you out too. When we get together to watch Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, I expect you there as well. I'm looking at you, Joel. <laughs> uh, and then everyone, when Epic has their sandcastle building competition this summer, I expect to see you all there. We should be all seeking to be there, creating and maintaining and fostering these relationships with new people because we can encourage people to Christ in ways that, that, that are so special. So if you are in Christ, you have the most important characteristic that you could ever share with someone, your common salvation in Christ. This means that although your problems may seem different, the problem will always boil down to needing to trust in the Lord more, to which all of us can encourage one another in. For me, one of the greatest church relationships I ever had was with an older woman named Bethany, who was about the age of my mom. Bethany and I just loved seeing each other at church because we were able to encourage one another in our faith and talk about the problems that we were having in our lives and push each other towards the Lord. Outside of a church, there was no way I would ever have a relationship like this. And that's why these relationships inside the church are so special. Let's join together and let's praise our God together. Let's draw close to one another and push each other to honor him as one united church family. Look with me back at John 10, picking up in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. After the crowd completely misses the point of Jesus' teaching, he changes gears and focuses on a different shepherding metaphor that he can compare himself to. Jesus tells the people that he is the door, which points out that he is the only way to heaven and eternal, abundant life. In these couple of verses, we see number two, the goal of the good shepherd. And that very goal is that he will lead his people to the greener pastures of eternal life. Before Jesus came to earth, there were many who would pretend to be the Messiah and claim the authority of the Messiah. All of these men made grand messianic claims, calling their disciples to follow them into battle so they could liberate the Jewish people from the rule of the Romans. All of these men led their followers not into freedom, peace, and liberation, 
but into war, suffering, and slavery, hurting the very people that they were claiming to save. These messianic pretenders are the thief in this metaphor, delivering people unto death and destruction. Again, in this metaphor, Jesus is standing in opposition to the thief. Jesus, as the door, does the job of protecting people from harm and giving people an abundant life. As D.A. Carson writes, abundant life, as described here in verse 11, suggests fat, contented, flourishing sheep, not terrorized by thieves. Outside the narrative world, it means that the life Jesus' true disciples enjoy is not to be construed as more time to fill merely everlasting life, but life as at its scarcely imagined best, life to be lived. The door to the fold, being Jesus, protects all of the sheep inside of the fold and allows them to flourish. He grants to his people security from the outside world so that they will no longer be terrorized by the thief, but can enjoy peace in their personal union with Christ. This peace and security is unlike any other because of the nature of the one who offers it to us. Our Savior, Jesus, is the Son of God. He has a relationship with the Father that is unique to him because they exist in Trinity with one another. Jesus then, when offering to us security, is offering eternal security in the kingdom of heaven through our union with him. In this union, we will be able to dwell with God and enjoy his presence forever. Jesus then, being the son of God, has the unique responsibility of being the only way to fix our, our relationship with the almighty God. Our sin caused us to be separated from God, leaving us completely alienated from him the only way to enter into this fold once again and become citizens of the kingdom of heaven is to have faith in Christ alone. He is the one who lets people into this fold and apart from him, everyone exists outside of this fold, eternally separated from our God. In order to be right with God once again, we must place our faith into Jesus and come into union with him leaving behind our ragged robes and putting on the robes of righteousness which Christ gives us inside of our union. We then, once we are redeemed as redeemed people, can praise our Savior Jesus for providing us this perfect security and peace. When danger comes our way, we know we have security and our identity as sheep of the good shepherd. Our abundant life is guaranteed to us, not in the way of physical prosperity of health and monetary riches, but in the spiritual prosperity, knowing that our Lord is looking after us, that our inheritance in heaven is guaranteed, and that our eternal life is secured. 18th century preacher John Newton has some great words of encouragement of what it means to trust in the Lord for our security. In a letter to a minister friend of his, he wrote this. 
He says, indeed, you have need of his guidance. At your years, you are exposed to many snares. Yet, if the Lord keeps you sensible of your danger and dependent on him, you will walk safely. Your security, success, and comfort depend upon him. And in the means, chiefly upon being preserved in a humble sense of your own weakness. It is written, fear not, I am with thee. It is written again, blessed is the man who feareth always. There is perfect harmony in those seemingly different texts. May the wisdom that cometh from above teach you and me to keep them both united in our view. If our Lord be with us, we have no cause of fear. His eye is upon us. His arm is over us. His ear open to our prayer. His grace sufficient. His promise unchangeable. Jesus Christ as the door to the sheep, should bring us to worship and glorify him for the eternal security that he provides to us. But that is not the only reason that we praise the good shepherd. We also praise the good shepherd because he lays his life down for the sheep. Look with me at verses 11 through 18. Jesus continues on and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and I have no and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, so they, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In our final metaphor for this passage, we see number three, the means of the good shepherd. In order to grant security for his people and give them the benefits of his righteousness, Jesus needs to voluntarily lay his life down in his people's place, taking on a death that he is undeserving of and dying for his sheep. This is the means of the good shepherd. For if Jesus is going to redeem our relationship with God and lead us into the fold, then someone is responsible for paying the debt of sin that we as sheep have collected. Jesus, being the good shepherd, lays his life down for the sheep in order to pay off that debt and save us once and for all time. We can see the authenticity of Jesus' motives because of his willingness to stay with the sheep till the bitter end. The hired hand, who is meant to protect the sheep, would run away as the wolf approaches in order to protect his own life, leaving the sheep to be scattered and snatched by the wolf. But the good shepherd, he 
doesn't run away in the face of death. The good shepherd knows and loves his sheep intimately, just as the father and son know and love each other. Then out of this very love, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep, taking the death that they were deserving, all so that the sheep may have abundant life. The life of the good shepherd, though, is not laid down in vain. Jesus lays down his life in obedience to the Father's will, all so that he may pick it back up again, raising from the grave victorious over death. Through his death and resurrection, he is able to grant security to his sheep, allowing the sheep to join together in a chorus, saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And what a great name that Jesus makes for himself in this humbling to the point of death. But the Jewish audience, when they hear this claim, don't know how to respond. Some say that he must have had a demon inside of him, while others, uh, while others know that a demon could not open the eyes of the blind when Christ died. So, like the Jewish audience, we are wondering, how do we respond to the claim of the sacrifice, protection, and care? I believe C.S. Lewis, in his book, Near Christianity, presents an argument of how we should view the person of Jesus. Lewis starts off by saying that we cannot claim that Jesus was simply a good moral teacher because of his claims to divinity. This leaves us then with three different options when thinking about who Jesus really was. The first is that Jesus is a liar. He must have lied about the miracles that he performed and had people in on these lies. This really could not be true, though, because of the scale of the people who not only responded to him, but were willing to die for his name. Surely some of the apostles would have given up before their death to say that it was all fake and preserve their life. If Jesus then isn't a liar, he must be a lunatic, for no sane man can claim to do miracles like Christ had. But again, testimony of Christ's miracles stand to prove this false also. So if Jesus isn't a liar or a lunatic, he must then be Lord. His miracles and his teaching must all be true. He has laid his life down to die for our sin and has been raised from the dead. All that we may be in right relationship with God once again, there is no ambiguous nature to what he has done or confusion of who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the one for whom all creation was made. And he has proved that in the saving of his people by the sacrifice of his own life, establishing himself as the good shepherd. So then let's look to Christ 
whether this be your first time looking to him or your millionth. Let us look to Christ for our security and our peace, resting in the care of the good shepherd who cares so deeply for his sheep. If you are not already saved by Christ, then join us in praising his name and come to him for salvation. Let's draw near and let us respond to the voice of the good shepherd, praising him for the good works that he has done in our lives and thanking him for his, for his protection and care over us.